So I think that, you know, in this, the snowball analogy, like I'm in the center of the snowball. And as I'm rolling and this snow is accumulating on the outside of me, it's creating more and more distance between myself and anybody else. Like, and that was definitely what I felt is that I felt like it was harder and harder for me to reach out to other people to say like, I need help because I was building more and more of a, you know, this thick protective layer. At least I thought it was protective, but it wasn't protecting me. It was just. Hello, and welcome back to Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander. I am your host, Bruce Alexander, for now, because I have a very special podcast pirate with me today taking over my show. Taylor Doe is here to interview me after today's reflection. How comfortable are you trusting others to collaborate? This is something I used to really struggle with. Whether I signed up for the partnership or got voluntold, the process would be the same. I would set mental expectations and then work myself to death trying to do it all. My experience was generally that, one, no, they did not have the same expectations as me because I am an insane workhorse who has crazy expectations for every project. Two, my fear of their performance made it much harder for me to deliver in mine. Three, trying to avoid the conflict I thought was inevitable gave the impression that I did not want to work as part of a team. What I've learned since is that the same thing that has solved most of my issues solves this one as well. Authenticity. Being open and honest about my expectations allows my team to meet me where I am at or allow me to be shaped by the situation. Being self-aware allows me to understand that my hyper-focus guides me to set really aggressive goals, which might not be feasible as part of a team. Embracing my strengths grants me acceptance to take on larger responsibility to achieve ambitious results. I want to hear what experiences you have had or what fears have stopped your collaborative enterprises. So go to the episode 20 reflection at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn, and let me know. You can type collaborate in the comments if you want me to reach out and set up a free 30-minute call to help you start collaborating with confidence. If you love the space we are creating or want to help advance my mission of making the world a safer place for authenticity, here are a few ways you can support this show. Leave a review and tell me what you think is great, needs work, or you would like to see more of in the show. Follow the show on your favorite podcast platform or on all the platforms you use and use that share function. Send an episode of this show to someone you care about or post about it on your social media feeds or in your stories. Those are all free ways to support the authentic mission. If you are uncomfortable being a spokesperson for authenticity, you can be a financial backer of the authentic mission by going to Patreon and searching Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander and signing up for a membership. I am dedicated to the work of this mission long-term, but I would love your help in more quickly making the world a safer place to show up as yourself. Taylor Doe and I had a great conversation back on episode nine where he was an outstanding guest. I'm not gonna do much of an intro to myself because Taylor has one for me and I've written a few questions for the episode that will definitely let me talk plenty about myself. So for now, I step back as your host and hand it over to Taylor Doe for an authentic takeover. Let's go, Bruce. Thanks for having me on the pod. I want to do something a little bit different today. As you've already mentioned, I want to take over your podcast because I want your listeners to hear maybe a side of you and some stories that they might not have heard before. You have had some really amazing guests on and, and you are an amazing host. And so you're asking these questions, getting to know your guests. Uh, but what I want to do today is kind of take over your podcast and kind of sit in your chair a little bit and ask some questions of you uh, for you to be able to authentically share. Uh, like I said, some stories that you don't typically share on the pod about your life and some of your experiences. Uh, that was an amazing intro on collaboration because uh, that's what we're doing. And I'm sure yeah. we'll get into that a little bit uh, in our conversation. But 
I kind of want to do another little intro. So Bruce, welcome to the Authentic On Air podcast. I'm your takeover host for the day, Taylor Doe. Today we have an amazing guest. His name is Bruce Alexander. We have him on the pod. Um, so welcome, Bruce. Hey, man. Uh, thank you for having me on my show. <laughs> I'm really excited to do this. Like, I think it really is a great way for me to show a little bit more of myself to the audience. Yeah. I would love to kind of start um, and, and we'll, we'll kind of start here. I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit and give a snapshot of your day. Like, what, what are you doing? How do you spend your time? What are you passionate about in kind of this season of your life? Yeah, um, I think that this podcast is a big part of what I'm doing with my life right now. Like, I'm really focusing on trying to put my authentic self out into the world and create more room for people to be authentic. And that is really like my main focus. I, I want to help people in doing that, both by just creating this podcast and putting it out there for free, and also through coaching and you know helping people accept their identity and be authentic and how they sh- how they share that in the world. Um, I I do work a lot, um, which is weird from not from going to a job where like I went to work all the time and being home now all the time, but I'm still working just as much, if not more. Um, I also spend a lot of time with my kids doing homeschooling with them during the day. Um, that's like, that's half my week. The other half is working on podcasts and business stuff. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the main things I'm working on right now. I love it. And I know that you've, you've shared this on the pod, uh, kind of in other spaces, but for now, I would love to kind of ask you, like, you, you have this podcast called Authentic on Air, and I would love to kind of hear your definition of authenticity and then kind of roll into the reason why it's so important to you. Like the, the name of a podcast is a big deal, as you know, yeah. right? And so like you chose a specific word for a specific reason. So one, I would love to kind of hear your definition. And then two, like what was what was the reason why you like chose this word? Like this is the thing that you're going after yeah. in this season of your life. Um, so like I'll refer back to the intro a little bit. You know, I've talked about being self-aware. Um so much of my life, I, I didn't realize why I wasn't connecting with people. And it a lot of it had to do with not looking inwards enough, not, you know, putting a lot of blame on other people. Um, everything was wrong and it was never my fault. And that was not, that was something that wasn't very genuine about me. And I, and I didn't even really know I was doing it. But once I started to figure that out and I started to, you know, figure what was going on with me and this like ADHD for me played a big part in this role that I did. Like I was just missing some of those social cues and I wasn't able to learn from it because I didn't know I was missing. Them. I just thought that, you know, there was something wrong and I just, there was nothing I could do about it. Uh, once I learned that about myself, it became really important for me to, to kind of share myself up front and say, Hey, these are some of the things I'm dealing with. Like I, you know, for whatever reason, this connection is important. So I want to give you the information you need to be able to to meet me halfway or meet me where I'm at or not. Like, and, and that's okay. Not everybody wants to meet you where you're at, but I want to give people the opportunity to do that by giving them the information up front and letting them make their own decision versus making it for them and, you know, trying to hide parts of myself. And uh, that that's the biggest part for me is the self-awareness, but it's also uh, embracing my strengths and faults. That's like, that's a big part of it. You know, there are things that I'm good at and there are things that I'm, that I'm bad at. And I tried really hard to do things that I wasn't very good at to try to make other people happy. And 
in doing that, I really just, I never made them happy, but I also gave off an air of being fake. I wasn't trying to, I was trying to be something I wasn't. And that's fake. Like that's, that's the whole thing is like, I wasn't, I didn't think I was a fake person, but I was being a fake person. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's what authenticity is to me is like really being self-aware and accepting yourself as you are. It doesn't mean you can't, you can't be aspirational to be a better version of yourself that you can't want to grow. I think that that's part of it. I think it's a very important part of it is embracing yourself and loving yourself enough to know that you deserve better. And once I was able to look at myself and embrace myself, I, I started wanting better and I started attracting better relationships and a better quality of relationship with my spouse and my children and whatever, because I stopped hiding from those things that scared me. Um, what really made it a huge deal for me was the, I don't know, I like looking back the, uh, just the stacking and stacking and stacking of these experiences that were building up. And I wasn't like really finding meaning, meaningful connection outside of like my marriage is obviously a very meaningful connection, but that was different. And even that wasn't as deep as it could have been because there were parts of myself I was hiding. And once I started to accept those things, that relationship got deeper other relationships you know the people whom i let in quickly like i was like hey here here's what what's going on with me here i am not hiding those those relationships became deeper i've ha- i have friends now like i've never had before in my life like i've got friends who support me and who cheer for me and you know who want the best for me whenever before like i don't even really like i have no friends from before 10 well i can say yeah but before 10 years ago because i and it's not that i didn't meet good people i just wasn't in a place to actually cultivate good relationships because i didn't know who i was and so what what i see from from this side is that you're creating a space through podcasts through a podcast community um through the community that you're building for people to start that self-reflection is that would that be accurate yeah absolutely i think it's really important to um for me like i'm not saying that this is everybody's journey but for me it's really important like i think i've lived experiences and i've got the training and i've been through just the right circumstances to make me a really really great facilitator of authenticity like i've felt what it's like and how dark and lonely it can get trying to be somebody you're not and i've I'm on the other side of that now, and I really appreciate the quality of life, and I want to share that with other people, and I want to give other people a chance to partake in both my authenticity, but also start to uncover their own, and other people who also are already more on that side, that that takes continued support as well. Sure. I, well, I I love that kind of aspect of like what's happening now, the yeah. the the process you're in, what you're creating that, but I would love to kind of like. Can we like give the listeners like a, a journey of how you got to this point? So sure. can we can we just start from maybe the beginning a little bit? Like where are you from? Uh, like have you moved a lot? Have you lived in the same house for fifty years? You know, it's like no. what what is what is your story, uh, Bruce? Let's start from from the beginning. Like where, where are you from? Um, I'm initially from Oklahoma City, but I have not lived in the same spot at all. Um, the my earliest memories are. Of a little like I was born in Oklahoma City, but we lived in Chickasha early in my life. Okay. And my dad has a very, very, very strong connection to Chickasha. Like, 
unhealthily strong. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm not joking. Like yeah, he yeah. makes like it is so important to him that everything be filtered through a lens of Chickasha. And that's always been really hard for me because he's set that as barriers to our relationship. Whenever, you know, later on in life, uh, we moved to South Oklahoma City. Um, my parents got divorced after a while. Like I was 11 years old. Yeah. I moved to Tulsa with my mom. We lived in six or so different houses while I was in Tulsa. And I, I wanted to move back with my dad at one point because I was a teenager and I was not happy with my situation because what teenager is. And my dad, who lived at North, like in North Oklahoma City at the time, like Northwest OKC, wanted me, if I lived with him, to, uh, to commute to Chickasha to go to school. That is the, the craziest thing I've ever heard, to have a 17-year-old driving 45 minutes to go to school. And he also wanted me to play for their football team because I was a decent football player. And he wanted me to, he wanted me to represent him there and be like, oh, that's, that's Bruce's son, which, you know, we have the same name. So you know, yeah, yeah. people would know it's. Um, which I, you know, I appreciate that you want to show off something you're proud of, but to the point where he would not let me come down until I agreed to go to Chickasha whenever there was a high school that was like a really, you know, great reproach right around the corner from it. And I was like, can I just go there? And no, I couldn't. So I, that didn't happen. And that wasn't the only time that Chickasha was set as the barrier between us. So did you, uh, so did you end up going to Chickasha? No, no, you stayed no. in Tulsa. Yeah, I stayed with my okay. mom because okay. like that was even even then I knew that that was not healthy. I yeah. was like, why would I need to drive 45 minutes every day? Sometimes, you know, like what if we had bad weather? Right. Like that's just like if if I was living out in the country and the only school was 45 minutes away, that's one different. thing. Yeah. Different. But there's like 15 schools like just off the highway between here and there. And yeah. I was like. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't feel smart. So uh, from there, um, I did. I stayed in Tulsa. I did eventually moving uh, with him whenever I started college. I went to, you know, I got into OU, and I was still commuting. I was commuting from basically making the same commute minus 15 minutes. I was driving from Northwest Oklahoma City to OU, and that was obviously a struggle. And I eventually ended up moving in with some quote unquote friends down there um, to continue going to school and stuff got pretty far off the rails at that point. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, to sum it up pretty briefly, got in with a, a crowd who had money and had, uh, had uh, opportunities that I didn't have. And I, I was behaving that way mm -hmm. i was behaving like somebody who had money and was going to be able to get out of any trouble that they got into and whenever that happened i wasn't able to mm -hmm. so um you know i i'd I, like you know had some some time doing drugs got uh ended up having a warrant out for my arrest that was the first time i felt like i i was actively running because i knew this stuff and i had left you know, I got kicked out of school because my grades weren't there. I wasn't showing up to class. I was late every day when I did come. So I got kicked out of OU. And instead of just like facing the, the things I'd done, I went back to Tulsa to stay with my mom and just hit. Hello, Authentic Audience. I hope you are really enjoying this unique opportunity to get to know this man behind the mic. 
As much as I am an open book, I have found that I don't really get too deep into the nuts and bolts of what makes me tick in a lot of conversation. Taylor really gave me a chance to spread my backstory wings and fly. So a big shout out to T-Dub. Next week, we will be really shifting gears to a road much less traveled. So much less, it is even paved. Actually, is it even a road? It's more like a trail. Yeah, a nature trail. The original Wild Wanderer, Lorianne Wilde, joins me in the studio and we get back to our roots. A play educator, certified positive discipline parent educator, and the now resident nature program coordinator at the Oklahoma nonprofit St. Francis of the Woods, Lorianne is, in my opinion, the greatest builder of community and safe spaces of all time. We get deep into community building, reconnecting through nature, and how Lorianne literally changed my life forever. It is really a great episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. If you are enjoying Taylor's interview skills, you should hear him in the interview chair. And you can. Right after you finish this episode, go listen to episode 9. Don't shorten your story, identifying pivotal moments and individuals to develop your character with the TEDx speaker, Taylor Doe. This is the most underrated episode I have dropped to date, and I really don't understand why it's so slept on, but you should check it out. For now, back to my interview. Thanks for listening. I, I went back to working my high school job. I did everything I possibly could to just really hide from life. And eventually my mom found out that I had a warrant out and she took me to Norman to go to jail. Uh, I only spent like 16 hours in jail, but that is not fun. <laughs> not a great experience. And um, also having your mom take you to jail, not a great experience. She, she was right, but it still didn't feel very good. You know, um, and then from that point, I had also like had student loans that were starting to come come calling. So all this anxiety was sure. was putting pressure into my life, and I just like receded further and further. I had this. I was on probation. Um, I got off, you know, fairly good for having been somebody who like was actively dealing drugs at one point, yeah. and I just got off of you know probation for two years and then uh, parole for like another year, but that made me feel like I felt like a criminal. Mm. And I, like, I accepted that mindset, not as that I wanted to go out and commit more crimes, but as if I had no worth. Mm. And that really affected how I behaved for like the next 10 years. Wow. And um, yeah, I acted yeah. like an idiot. Yeah. So. No, thank you for sharing that. Can you, can you explain a little bit of maybe the, the feeling or the thoughts you had, you kind of mentioned this, this idea of running or hiding. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and maybe that might be a connection to some of the listeners and for people who like might be in that season right now. Like what what were some things that you were thinking in that time when you were, were trying to hide? Was it this feeling of like maybe like, hey, if I push try to push this far enough away, I can push out of my mind. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. What, what were some of the things that you were you were experiencing then? So um, like if you know anything about ADHD, you know, the object permanence is a big thing. It's mm-hmm. like if it's if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So I would. If I'd get any mail or anything about my loan, like I would immediately like throw it away. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, I, um, I would just put all of the emails like into spam. I would really just literally hide from the, you know, it's like if I just act like it's not there, then it's not right. Mm-hmm. Like everything's fine. And this, the same goes with, you know, the fact that whenever I initially got, so my house was raided whenever we were, whenever I was at OU. Um, because I thought I was like this huge drug dealer. I wasn't like, you know, I was a dealer of some degree at one point. And um, when they raided my house, they said, you know, you can give us somebody else, somebody bigger. 
and this could all go away. And like I said, oh yeah, sure, sure. I didn't really have anybody. Like there wasn't like this, you know, this El Chapo that I was like <laughs> sitting on. Right. There was another guy that I went to school with who did have a pretty big connection, but he was just another kid. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't going to give him up like that. And it wasn't out of, you know, this like strong loyalty or anything. I just was like, it's not his fault that, you know, he's the guy I know. Like it's my fault. Like, you know, because we knew that they were coming. Like we said, like our neighbor had told us that there was an unmarked car going through our trash. He doesn't know what we're doing, but we need to clean up our act. And we did for a while, but I let the people who were around me behave in a way that said, like, I didn't care. Like I knew I was going to get in trouble. Like I knew it was coming. And I still, I I stayed there for one, instead of getting out of that situation. Um, and that was kind of a, a pattern for me was letting other people make big decisions for my life. And um, I think that for me, having done a lot of self-work and looking back at my, at my story, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was raised in a way where fear and guilt were the masters of my life. There was a lot of reward and appreciation whenever I got like these objective goals, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had any worth or value. It was all about getting these things. And once I moved out and was on my own for the first time, I didn't know how to actually make decisions that were good for myself. I had no idea how to do it. So in that vacuum, I let other people come in, other strong personalities who didn't really, have, didn't really care about me, but they cared about using me. And when people like that have control, they make, they make decisions that are going to not end up well for you. Yeah, um, but the, as far as the hiding, it it didn't make anything feel better. Like that's that's an important part that I keep coming back to in my life is that those those tendencies to hide and lie and try to like make everything seem better than it is made me feel worse. Like every everything I did to try to like put that thing off made me feel more anxious. Made their more lies and like harder to actually identify with people because there was just more and more baggage blocking my my connection to other people and like that's a big part of why i'm so like bought into being completely honest with people because i felt all that different stuff blocking me and so yeah it's really, really yeah. It is so real and and did you see what was there kind of a do you see that there's kind of a snowball effect Oh yeah. To that, like yeah. over, over the course of time of maybe a little light here, I'm not fully authentic or I'm trying to hide and I push this away and then yeah. this snowballs. Um, it, well, what are your kind of thoughts on that when you've either one your experience or other people that you've seen when the snowball kind of gets really big, what mm-hmm. is maybe some, some thoughts that if, if some, a listener is kind of feeling in that moment of like, my snowball is, is way too big at this point, you know, it's like, I'm trying to hold this back or yeah. what, like what, what are some of your experiences that you have you started to kind of chip away at that snowball? What, what yeah, that I, I can like? definitely say that, you know, you know, as the snowball grows, it gains momentum. And the farther it gets down the hill, the harder it is to stop. And that's just with the momentum. Plus, it's gaining size and mass and speed. Like all these things are building up because you're instead of like doing things to slow it down, you're just adding more stuff to speed it up, which makes it harder when you're ready to to make it, you know. To stop it. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely agree that, that the snowball is a really good analogy for it. And um, for me, it just became so 
there, there it was just so much speed in my snowball that it was I was no longer able to act like I was okay. I, di- I didn't realize it. I just, I was doing stuff that didn't line up with what I was saying. My behavior started to like, started to betray me. I was doing stuff that was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like, are you sure? Because you're not acting like you're okay. Because the, the person I was acting like wasn't lining up with the lie to any degree anymore because the lie was too complex. It was too complicated. There was too much there that I, I was just like, you can't, how many lies can you keep up with before you start to fall apart? Yeah. And, you know, it took a long time to, uh, to really figure that out. Yeah. It's just, you know, you get like uh, decision fatigue and you get paralysis from like that anxiety. I just didn't do anything for a long time. And um, my wife is really the, you know, if it wasn't for her, I'm sure I wouldn't be here. Like I was doing I was living like I did not want to be alive until, you know, she, she was in my life already, but she kind of said like, I'm not going to sit here and watch you kill yourself basically. And, uh, that was, that was the first time I was like, well, damn, (laughs) like that's that's, uh, if you put it that way, that is, that's, that's kind of intense. I didn't really know I was doing that. And that's like the, that's whenever I started to like look at what I was doing. It still took a long time before I ever really started to embrace myself. With with kind of the snowball analogy we're using, kind of talk about how that impacts relationships around you. Yeah, like the the snowball and and how that you know is like. Uh, do you have any siblings or anything, or or maybe mm-hmm. you know it's like how that inter- interacts or that impacts the relationships with your parents or even a significant other a future spouse, you know, it's like those things. What was, what's kind of the ramifications of a snowball kind of with those things in regards to relationships? So I think that, you know, in this, the snowball analogy, like I'm in the center of the snowball and as I'm rolling in this snow is accumulating on the outside of me, it's creating more and more distance between myself, and anybody else. Like, and that was definitely what I felt is that I felt like it was harder and harder for me to reach out to other people to say like, I need help because I was building more and more of a, you know, this thick protective layer. At least I thought it was protective, but it wasn't protecting me. It was just, it was just insulating me from other people's like outreach. And like, I'm definitely the first to say that I have not had the greatest family relationships. Um, we're not a lot of like, we have a lot of trauma, like just, My mom's mom was very, very cold, like very, very narcissistic. And my mom, if she's not a like flat out narcissist, she just took on a lot of her narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that relationship was her expecting me to perform for her, to be her source, to be, you know, the the thing that she needed. And that's not what your parent is supposed to be. And my dad was also, he just he loves me so much, but the way that he expresses that love is by exerting control. Mm. Like he won, you know, he's like, this is what you should do. And it was never like, this is a piece of advice. It was, it was a, a social imperative. If I didn't do what he was going to do. Our relationship was going to break down mm-hmm. and that just created more anxiety. So it's not that everybody else was so impossible to get along with, with what I was going through. It just made it worse. Yeah. It's, you know, I didn't until my wife, I didn't really have somebody who was like just there for me and really just wanted the best for me, whether that be what she was suggesting or not. 
it's just she just cared and um you know but like you said the the snowball analogy just yeah it really just made it harder and harder for me to reach out to other people because i was just encapsulated in this you know this snowball of lies and deceit and so um coming coming from that like kind of swinging the other way you graduate college or or you you go to college you have the the incident mm-hmm. things things happen go through probation all of that you kind of said the next 10 years let's let's talk a little bit about like let's start kind of turn the corner of like how did you meet your wife? I'm kind of curious to yeah. know about that story and yeah, kind of like maybe some of the things that started to change right. um, over the course of time. What what was what was that like? So, um, like I said, I went back to Tulsa and I worked at my my high school job, which was a place called Wild Oats Wild Oats in Tulsa, okay. which got bought out by Whole Foods. And like I was I was there during that period, and it was a, it was a job that I enjoyed. It was fun. Um, I thought I was good at it, but once again, being ADHD, like you kind of had these delusions of like grandiosity. Like I thought I was much better at doing things than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that, let me take that back. Cause it's like, I was good at things, but it was the way that I, I got them done was definitely not what they wanted. And some of them were just unacceptable. Like I was super slow setting things up and that whenever you're like, you have a limited amount of time to get the, the counter open whenever I was a meat cutter and you can't just get two hours of extra overtime coming in early to make it look perfect because you know that like I, I made it look really great but it's like yeah but you're taking two hours like it's supposed to be a 30 minute thing yeah and it's like but it looks great and they're like yes it looks great and i and i it took me so many times of getting that same uh that same feedback in different ways to actually understand that oh i have to be faster mm. and that and that is something that is i wish that i'd understood what ADHD was for me earlier because I knew that I was ADHD whenever I went back to Tulsa, but I just thought that that meant I, w- I was going to struggle to paying attention to things I didn't care about a lot. And I was going to be late. I really didn't understand how much it affects. Like I didn't, I didn't understand what executive function was first off. Yeah. And I, then I didn't know how much it affected it. I also didn't understand how much it affected me being able to pick up on social cues. Yeah. I didn't, understand so much of that because i was popular in high school and i had made straight a's because i was just smart like all those things that that come later in life that kind of adhd can slap you down with i just wasn't aware of that and so like i just kept getting these same things over and over again and um it that was tough um i left there and i started working at a restaurant so anyways i met kate at whole food she was a she was a a bagger. I was a cashier when we met. You know, she made a cashier. I went back to the meat department, but she was a vegan, and I was working in the meat counter whenever we really got serious. <laughs> and that was like the that's the wildest part of our story is that she was like, she ate almost nothing. She would eat like a piece of sprouted bread with like veganaise, which is like a vegan mayonnaise, yeah. and like kale. Like that was a lunch for her. And I was like, Are you serious? <laughs> like I love food. Yeah. And I cooked a lot. Like I'm a good cook, so I cooked a lot. And like I was, you know, making steaks and shrimp, and you Jeez. know, making fish. Like I worked in the meat market, so I was constantly in yes. it making that stuff. And she eventually was like, "That smells really good." I mean, like, I don't remember if it was fish or shrimp, but she's like, "Let me try that." And she did, and was you know, and she was transported. <laughs> she and she never looked back. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was a uh, you know that was something that we we you know we still to this day bond over is our enjoyment of like good food yeah 
you know, that's something that we really share and that I love about her is that she, I don't know how she's the same person because she loves a yeah. good meal. And that, that girl that I met did not care about a good meal. She's just like, I just want my, you know, my piece of bread. And my, like, that's all. I'm like, okay. Well, tell me a little bit, well, uh, side, side story. Tell me yeah. about cooking a little bit. Like, oh, okay. what, what is, tell you a lot. like, what is, how, how did you find a passion? Did you learn about it from someone or was it over the years of kind of exploring or? Um, it's like, so what I, what I've learned, I was thinking about this, you know, getting ready for today. I've figured out that I have not been inherently coachable, like for most of my life. And I think a lot, you know, a big part of that was the ADHD, like disconnect, yeah. but also that, that, that hiding and fear kind of made me afraid to be vulnerable enough to let somebody teach me things. So, and then, then also, and when somebody had the ability to teach me, I would be so afraid to take feedback. So I was like, I would just avoid that situation versus like leaning into the, you know, somebody being able to teach me something, which is weird. Like thinking about it, it's weird. I did not realize that because I was once again doing behaviors that I didn't actually believe in trying to keep up with the different lives I had running. Um, so no, nobody taught me how to cook. Like my stepdad was a, was a decent cook. He didn't really teach me a lot. So I was like, I just started messing around whenever I started working at the, uh, at Wild Oats the first time. It was like, I worked at a grocery store that had, you know, good product. And I just started, you know, slowly buying stuff and messing with stuff. And then especially once I got in the meat department and, you know, I was getting, like it's on. <laughs> it really was, it was like, I was getting, yeah. you know, uh, meat cheap. And then they also like let us demo stuff like at the, at the place. Cool. So I, yeah, I started making stuff and I was like, oh. I kind of had a, pretty good at this yeah i had a natural proclivity to it like yeah. i you know made some a couple weird things but i started watching a lot of food network like a lot of food network okay. and you know this is where this is the first time that my adhd hyper focus really benefited me because like i was hyper focused on food like i was like i can be better at this. so i just started watching it all the time didn't realize that until much later that i was literally watching food all the time but i took in so much information and started to just like do stuff that not everybody can just, you know, watch it and do it, but that's how it worked for me. And I really just loved it. And I loved seeing the look on somebody's face whenever I shared a meal with them and they were like, Oh man, this is really good. I loved sharing that. So um, it's something that I've continued to love. I've moved more to smoking. Like smoking is my, it's more my current uh, creative food process. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I still, you know, like I'll still throw down every now and then for, a, you know, for everybody's birthday. I'm like, what do you guys want? That's cool. And I'm, and I make whatever that, whatever it is that they desire. Like I made ramen for the first time, uh, two years from my daughter's birthday. She's, you know, we're into anime. Yeah. And so they really like, you know, different Japanese thing. And she's like, we've never had ramen. Can you make that? And I was like, I, I will be able to. <laughs> yeah. And I did. And it was really good. Wow. And so now we have that, you know, every, every couple months and, you know, really cool. Yeah. The, the thing I want to pause real quick and, and say is maybe a question for all of us is what areas of our lives are we not coachable? Right? It's like, are there still, I think that's a process for all of us to kind of reflect and say, hey, what areas, one, do I have too much confidence or, or maybe I'm unaware of kind of like what you said, you like, I didn't realize I was, you know, not coachable until a little bit farther down the road. What are areas in our lives that you know, it's like we we aren't coachable, and, and and it would benefit us to be coachable in yeah. that, right? I think you can probably look back uh, and maybe say, if I was more coachable 
in this area of my life. Maybe I'd be farther than where I'm at today, or maybe maybe things wouldn't have been as hard, or maybe I would have learned, you know, some technique that really would have taken me down another path. You know, it's hard to kind of imagine what that could be, but I think we all have the ability to kind of look back and say, man, if maybe if I would have learned something different or been more coachable, things could have the outcomes could have been different, right? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that being coachable is like a really important skill for growth. Like I like what I believe and understand now is that everybody has strengths to bring to the table. And I wasn't like I was never really willing to accept that because I always felt so small. I didn't want to let somebody else's strengths make me look small. And that like that was a really, really small way of thinking, but it's what I felt. It was like I didn't I wanted to always be showing off because I, I really felt so insecure that I really wanted to be putting out like look what I can do, this is what I can do, I can do it better than them. I don't need any help. You know, I don't I don't want anybody to come show me how to do this thing better because I can do it myself. And I, I, I really regret that because, you know, I have been in situations where there have been people who've been great at things, maybe not even exactly the thing that I wanted to learn, but I like learning. So why would I not just take the, take the experience and, and let it shape me? And that's, that's something I, I, I very much regret is that there's been a lot of opportunities where I could have been shaped in different ways that I, that I refuse to open myself up to. That's, that's, that's very insightful. <laughs> we'll just say that. Uh, random question would be if you would go back in time and you were the manager of yourself at Whole Foods, wow. what would you do different as the manager? Wow. Kind of leading yourself. That like, I think that's a really good question. And um, I've been talking about leadership a lot lately. I was on um, my friend Tolu's podcast and his, uh, his podcast is about leadership it's called uh Donimus eq and it's about leadership with emotional intelligence okay. and like that's something that i feel is very important and i it's something i, I haven't felt a lot i felt the lack of that in my various different careers is that although i definitely was not perfect i felt like i was met with a lot of the lack of emotion a lack of emotional intelligence, people not understanding, people not having grace, people not being patient. Um, and that's what I would definitely, I would, I would manage myself with emotional intelligence and I would take the time to get to know me and know that because I honestly, all of the complaints I ever got had to do really with me caring too much. Like, I know that sounds stupid. Like, it sounds like I'm, you know, like a, a, a resume answer. It's like, you know, my only weakness is I care too much. It's like, no, but like, I really, I cared so much about the product I was putting out that sometimes it was hard for me to put it out as quickly as they wanted or as, you know, in the way that they wanted to, because I wanted to control what it looked like. And that was, you know, that's not always ideal, you know? Yep. Uh, so fast forward, what was, uh, when did you, when do you all get married? Uh, we got married in 2010. Okay. And, and and you've mentioned your kids. Yeah. I have four kids now. Love it. Love it. And so you so you're cooking, making uh birthday stuff and and doing your thing, doing the, your thing with that. What's what's one thing that um you love about your family? One thing. Um man, my family is what I love about them is that they are the reason that I am who I am today. Like they that through all of my, you know, different, my different struggles, 
accepting life, they are the one thing that I've that I've let shape me all throughout this thing. Is like my wife before my kids, but my my oldest daughter. I remember whenever like I used to drink really heavily because I was hiding from a lot, and that was one way that I you know one vice I used to help help you know swallow the lie. Um, I, I had an experience where like I grew up in front of her, like at my mother-in-law's house. And it was like the most embarrassing thing I'd ever done. Like, and I'd done some stupid stuff. Like, so like, like really bear with me. Like it really, it broke my heart. She didn't, you know, she was two years old. Like she didn't say anything about it. It was just like, you know, she looked at me and I was, I just felt so gross. Like I felt so disgusted with myself that that experience led to me really starting to i mean it wasn't it wasn't rock bottom yet but it was close that experience was where i started to like say like what is wrong with me and what i eventually got to from what is wrong with me is there's not anything wrong with you stop hating yourself so much and <clears throat> it's been it's been a hard road I've definitely hated myself a lot at different times, but they've always loved me. And uh, their love has, like, has given me the ability to love myself. And, yeah, I, I, I would not be able, I wouldn't have been able to get there by myself. I really wouldn't have. The people in our lives, as you kind of share the things that you're sharing, make a huge difference, right? And it kind of sounds like, you're very aware of that, even kind of reflecting on your story of maybe in high school and then in college with some of the people that you were around and, and the influence there. And then, you know, the, the, the blessing or like this, this woman comes along and then you guys create this beautiful family and, you know, the, the impact that has had on your life. And even the way that I see you today, we don't know each other very well. And I know about you and, you know, it's like we have mutual friends and all of that, but kind of where you're at today the, the journey, you know, is like, it, I, I'm glad we're able to kind of highlight that on our podcast today because it's very evident of like the work that you have put in. You you said in kind of your intro, like, dude, you're a workhorse, right? Yeah. And, and I feel like you've been, been being a workhorse on yourself as well, not just external work and all that. Like you've really done some hard work of internalizing some of the kind of trauma that you've had and some of the relationships that are both positive and negative in your life. Um, that have kind of got you to a place today. Love to kind of take the next step of you have this family. Obviously, they are your everything and, and have have done that. What's kind of the the next part of your story after you start having kids and and things like that? Where where were you at? Were you back in Oklahoma City? So no, I wasn't back in Oklahoma City yet. So um, we had our son, and I was I was working as a I was doing a lot of different stuff at a restaurant, and um, we got pregnant with our third kid and it started to hit me like we're barely making it like you know we were living paycheck to paycheck that loan was still whispering in my ear all the time and like i felt excuse me i felt everything crashing down on me um my wife had been you know had been staying at home for a while because she was constantly pregnant <laughs> like you know i guess i do like Sorry. her a lot yeah. um but it was it was on me and like I and I took it upon myself to provide for my family and I was I was failing. And that was that stressed me out so much. It's like I can be 
a lot of things, but I don't want to be a failure as a provider to this family. That, that's so important to me. So my dad had been trying to get me to be a firefighter since I was in high school. He was a firefighter and he's like, it's a good job. It's a good job. It's a good job. And I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't want to do that. I never felt like me. Yeah. And I, I would tell myself at the time, like I was just resisting it because it was, it was him telling me that's, I came to find out that it's not really what I was meant to be doing really at all, but it's what I needed to do for the time. So mm -hmm. I finally accepted that, that advice and I became a firefighter. I initially was going to do it in Tulsa, got partially, like partially through the way in that process. And then I found out you have, you have to have your EMT certification before you can be one there. And, you know, I was already like, I had already committed to being a firefighter. Yeah. So I was like, whatever, I'll plan up on the city. Um, doing the process from Tulsa to Oklahoma city, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was that I like the first time that I applied, I got in, it doesn't usually happen. And then, but it, it's a long process. So it took like six months from the time I applied, took the first, you know, the, uh, the first test, took the physical examination, did the CPAT, did all that stuff. It took six months before I actually got my job offer. And then from that point, it was like, oh, I got a job offer. Like, this is happening. Yeah. Like, I'm still in Tulsa. Like, we have to find a place. Like, um, I think we we had somewhere between, like, two. I'm, I'm bad at time. But yeah, yeah. I know that we had something, like, between two weeks and a month to get to Oklahoma City and be ready to start the job. Because usually people are, like, they're already all in when they do it. Like, I was, I wanted to do that, but I was not already moved down here assuming that I was going to try it. again right, and I yeah. was going to, you know, whatever. Like it wasn't like that for me. So we kind of had to throw everything together and, and this is where like life started to get hard for my wife because she, whenever we had started talking about it, I was going to be a Tulsa firefighter. Like her family was in Tulsa. Like we had like all of our support structure, except for my, my dad and his family were in Tulsa. Right. Um, like I, for example, like I lived right around the corner from my mom, like four or five houses away. So it was, we were comfortable where we were as far as living situation. Yeah. And whenever I, you know, that I found out about the EMT thing, I did like, to me, it was like natural to just like keep moving. Cause I like, I'm going to provide for my family. And we never really had the conversation of like, Hey, are you okay doing this in Oklahoma city? I just like, was like, Hey, I'm applying at Oklahoma city. Hey, I got this. Hey, I got this. And she's just like, you know, kind of got swept up in it. And then it was like, okay, now we're moving. Well, we have to find a house. So it was never like, you know, let's have a conversation about if you're okay with it. It was like, I remember I told her like, we'll talk about it in five years. Like if, if you don't like it after five years, I'll quit. Um, that was a lie. Like that was one of those lies, one of those lies that I accept now as being something I told her because I was afraid of the conflict. I, I was hiding from how she would handle the truth. And that's like something I did with her many times. And like that affected our relationship really negatively until I started to take accountability for those things. But that was a big one because I dragged her down here. And then I also didn't understand how big of a commitment it was. Once I started at the Academy, it was a full time, like not just full time, full life job. Like we had just had our third kid 
and I was completely vacant from our life. It was very, very traumatizing for her. Like she's in a brand new place with no support. Like my dad would, you know, he helped us with money at some, and um, he's he's not great at this, but he tried to provide some community. He he kind of drops you on people. He'll just like, you know, like so-and-so's having a birthday party. He'll just invite you and not tell that person that, that he's invited you to a Surprise. birthday party. Exactly. So my wife would like try to, she had nobody. So she'd go to this birthday party and would be so awkward because she doesn't know anybody. Yeah. The person didn't know she was coming. There's just, you know, all this stuff going on. And meanwhile, whenever I wasn't at the academy, I was at Barnes & Noble's with my best friend Tommy studying for the academy because we had to learn so like a lot of these guys had the privilege of being able to, you know, have gone to like EOTC to get the, go to the firefighter program yeah. or they had their EMT degree. Like they had some understanding of this or, or they were, you know, like were volunteers or whatever. Like there was a baseline. There was some sort of baseline. And you're coming in with like zero. Yeah. And it, it was funny because my dad did it. So you'd think that I would have been prepared better. I was not. Mm-hmm. I was not like I was physically prepared to start. But I wasn't even really that like physically prepared because I'd been preparing for it for so long. Like if I had gotten on at Tulsa, I would have been doing great. But I had to keep sustaining so long because I started the process over, and you know I was still doing great. But it was like a year that I was in probably the best endurance physical condition I was ever in. Towards the end, once I got the job, I'd kind of let off a little bit, so I got there and was getting my ass handed to me. Like, it was really hard. Like, I'm a big dude naturally anyways, and it's hard to keep up whenever you run a whole bunch. Like, we weren't in there, you know, bench pressing for, you know, for maxes. That's that's not what the goal is. The goal is to be able to perform in a, like, in a house fire for as long as you need to, to be able to, like, carry people out of the buildings when you are absolutely exhausted. That is a different kind of training. And it's keeping your body that way long term was a a lot of work so kate was here she was alone she didn't know how to cook like because i'd cooked for us like you know so in the bit like the little bit of spare time i had i was like making like little comments like here's something you can do to cook like trying to help her learn to cook because she's got to provide for like she's got to provide food for the family she's making my lunches because i literally didn't have time to do anything but study and sleep for like four or five hours a night and she like she was like everything for me um but that whole time was so traumatizing for her like she did everything she, you know she showed up she was stressed out she you know made, you know made things for tough for her to be a single parent basically with yeah. the kids yeah. but she she did it and she you know did her very best and i was just like not there so whenever i finally came out on the other side of that first year because once i finished the 16-week academy i had to start riding to emt school which you whenever I was doing it, you didn't go to EMT school on your shift days. You went on your days off. So I was like every Monday through Friday that I wasn't at my 24 hour job. I was at EMT school. If I wasn't at EMT school, I was studying for EMT school. And then, so like that was, and if I wasn't then on the weekends, we'd go back to Tulsa and I would run seven, seven, at this point I was only running like three or four miles because the academy was over, but you still had to be in really good shape to make it through your first year. Like, yeah. yeah. And so it was, and then also I was getting like 30, 20 to 30,000 steps daily just at work because being the new guy, you literally, you can't sit down. Like that is literally 
what there's like don't snap you just keep moving you just stay busy not because it's healthy but, but that's just what you're what you're taught to do yeah so that was very very difficult for her and they ended up coming back to me whenever we finally tried to start living life after that because she was mad she was mad at me like and i like understandably because i signed her up for this thing that we didn't understand all of she had been completely abandoned for almost a year with no community no nothing and then i then i also was not gonna leave the job because now now i've put like i put too much sweat equity in so the op the option of ever leaving was like no way like mm -hmm. i've put in this like this incredibly difficult year that i i don't think i could do again and you want me to leave because you're unhappy i don't think so this is going to put food in our family's mouths it's you know the first year you get paid like dirt yeah and then the second year is okay and then the third year it jumps way up and then like after that they're considerably better like i was making really good money when i left yeah um but i had also sacrificed so much of myself by the time i left because i was so bought into that the money of it it's like that's a great job but it really it wasn't great for me like my number one thing i'm looking for whenever i think about doing something on a daily basis is being able to like let my brain you know work and that literally was not what i was told not to do yeah it's like stop thinking <laughs> stop your thinking too much just do what you're told yeah and that was it crushed me it's like what do you mean like I've got ideas. I've got, you know, I want to understand things it's like, no, don't ask questions about this. Like, don't do this. Like, just do it. And yeah, that was, that was really tough. And so as you, well, so we're now getting closer to the, to today's timeline, correct? Mm -hmm. um, what was, what was kind of the process for not be, not being a firefighter anymore, really being like taking a step out on your own is is very challenging very scary all yeah. that stuff Did, was there something in the interim or was mm -hmm. that your last uh that was my last well okay so i wasn't like a out in the field active firefighter until 2020 okay and then then i like i got promoted um so like you know a, a little and then moment that happened is kate got bit by a tick and she got really, really sick right around the time that COVID first started. Wow. We thought that she had COVID and then like she had 105 fever. It, mm -hmm. it almost crippled her. Like she literally could not walk for almost two months where I had to like, I had to help her get wherever she was going. She'd get mm -hmm. stuck places and would have to call me on the cell phone and be like, hey baby, I'm out in the garden. Can you come help me back to the house? Like I had, so this was whenever I was studying for promotion, I had to literally take care of her. I did like take off of work and just take care of my wife while trying to study for promotion because like I still wanted something more. I was tired of being told like I wasn't allowed to think like my brain is my greatest weapon and I literally wasn't allowed to use it. Mm. And so I'm taking care of her studying. And then I finally, I get promoted to driver. They send me to the farthest station out and like it's out in Wellston. And I, I was like, I can't, I can't come back to work and drive out to Wellston. My, my wife is sick. Like I need to be in the city in case something happens. Like she's, she hasn't even been taking care of anybody. And you want me to come back to 24 hour shifts where she's supposed to take care of everybody. And I can't be there. 
if something goes wrong. Like not even be there, but be within, you know, 15, 30 minutes. It's like, it was a 45 minute drive. I was like, I can't do that. So I, I used every single bit of my sick time, every bit of like, you know, you could ask for donated leave. I was able to get some donated leave. I yeah. used everything. And right before I ran out of time, an opening came up for public education, which I thought I was like, the way that you the way that you kind of get brainwashed whenever you're running into fires for a living is that like that is the best job in the entire world mm. that like you have to believe that you were doing something amazing to do that and i i totally get that but whenever this opportunity for public education came up i was like i don't i can't do that like i'm you know i'm a i'm a firefighter like, mm. i don't want to go into public education and stop running into fires but Otherwise, I'm going to have to stay out here in the field and things like getting sent to the farthest station are going to keep happening. Maybe this is a good, maybe this is a good fit. So I applied for that. And right before I like, literally used my last day of sick time of any of any kind, I had zero time. And I started the public education job that next, you know, that next shift. Wow. And so anyways, I was, I did that for over two years and got promoted to major through that. I, I had a lot of, you know, really great objective success but i struggled to be part of the team you know that that same thing of not understanding my adhd and understanding that ability to work as part of a team and also that whole not wanting to be poached because i didn't want to be seen as less than that like all those things intermingled with people who also were kind of had toxic masculinity and the culture of the fire department is not very good for you know, feelings and all that stuff. So there was, it was just a really bad toxic mix that made it really hard for me to, to succeed inside the system. Yeah. But like all of my outward facing tasks, I did fantastic on. Like, you know, I, I managed a, a 501c3 in the event for that. And it was the most successful it had ever been for the two years I did it. And um, I did, I did really good with that. But I, you know, my boss told me, about six months before I ended up leaving, like, you know, I just, something's up with you. And, you know, I, I feel like you're not telling me something and, you know, I, you need to figure something out or else, you know, you're probably not going to be able to stay here. Mm. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? Like, yeah. what, it, like, what's wrong? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like all of the things I'm supposed to do, like tick the boxes, I was able to do all those things, but there was this missing factor. And I don't know if me being more open with my ADHD would have made him understand that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like I'll never know. But like, you know, I told him at that point, but I think it was the damage was already done. People in that job listen to the gossip and the rumors whenever they're given any, like not everybody listens to it all the time, but as soon as they're given any shred of truth to that, they're like, yep, just like they said. So I had been told a lot that I wasn't there for the right reasons. And I was like, what does that mean? I'm here to make money to support my family. And this one guy who was a really, really terrible uh, relationship I had, his name was Baiko. And he was really, really outspoken about the people he didn't like. And so he just talked trash about me all the time. And he was like, you know, I just, I just I don't think you're here for the right reasons. You know, you're doing this and that. And what I realize now is that he saw me trying to be something I wasn't and, and thought I was just like being fake and thought I was lying whenever it was like, I just was trying to fit in. Yeah. 
I was just trying so hard to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. And he read that as, you know, a negative. And is that his fault? I don't know. Is the way he handled it his fault? Absolutely. He was a, he was a monster. And he, made it, he made it a nightmare for me to come to work. Is it my fault that I wasn't honest with who I was? Yeah. But I also didn't realize that me trying to, trying to manage and just put on a brave face was being read that way. I had no idea. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Now, I think that comes back to, you know, some of the uh, kind of the emotional intelligence piece that you kind of talked about earlier and being on your friend's podcast from a leadership perspective yeah. of being as a leader. I think one of the, the big characteristics is empathy, right? And being able to connect with the people that you lead and, and not even lead. Maybe he, he wasn't that, but even people that we work with, right? Mm-hmm. Of we don't know what people are bringing to work. We don't know what they're dealing with. We don't know what life stage, unless we take time to get to know them, have that level of empathy to say, can I see you for this? And maybe there's things that we do a little bit differently, or I'm just empathetic to your situation. And so some of your behavior might be a little different. You know, like there's people who are grieving, who come to work and they're grieving. Right. right? And, and that can affect work in, in ways that we interact with people. Uh, and so those are the things that, as you kind of hear that, I, I feel I feel one hopeful in the work that you're doing right now because the people who are in positions of leadership that you get to speak to hopefully can be more authentic and empathetic in yeah. their, in their positions. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I talked about authentic leadership. Like that's, it's my specific platform for coaching leadership. It. You know, it is, it is so much more about leading with your heart than it is about like trying to force people to, to meet tasks, goals, whatever. It's like, Everybody is in a job or a position for a reason. There's got to be at least a base of amount of skill level that they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you realize that and you take the time to get to know them and find out what they enjoy and what they're good at, and you allow them to, to work on that and you foster that growth, then they're going to want to perform for you. They're going to want to do things because you're, you're letting them fulfill something that feels like at least part of their purpose. And I, I, I absolutely was not getting that. I was like, I told you, it was like, stop talking so much, mm-hmm. like stop asking questions, like just do what you're told. Like that was never going to work for me. Now, if, if I could coach myself now, I, I would tell myself differently as to like, it's not never going to work. You just have to understand that you can tell them who you are. And they like they don't have to they don't have to accept all that. But if, if they would have known, like, hey, like I'm ADHD, like you guys are you're telling me things often, and like I think that I'm doing them, I need you to be more clear about what I'm doing wrong when I'm not doing them. Yeah. Instead of like I would get feedback and then I would hide. And I'd I'd pull farther and farther back. I would try to avoid them more and more because I was afraid of getting more and more negative feedback because sure they didn't actually care about me trying to like feel better. They just wanted me to do the thing that they wanted and they weren't communicating in a way that I could understand. And that's, you know, I, I don't think that that was ever going to be the long-term right place for me to be, but I could have gotten through it uns- like a little more unscathed if I had, if I had known that you just give, it gives people all the information up front. So then whenever they're not telling you things that are helping, you stop internalizing it so much. It's like, I've given you all the information that you need to, to communicate with me better. 
if you're not going to take it, then I'm, I realize that you don't actually care about me. So I'm going to stop taking those things that you're saying about me so personally. Yeah. Like that's, that's about you. Oh, I see it now. Like you feel this way. That's what you feel. Yeah. It has nothing to do with who I am. Well, and, and I kind of see the, the things that you're pulling from your different life experiences into the coaching that you're doing into the podcast, all of those things that that's part of your story that you've shared part of today, right? On, on the pod is these are some things that have impacted you in a way that you've been able to step back a little bit from and say, Hey, what are the learnings that I can pull from this as I want to encourage and help other leaders who might be in similar situations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so that's, um, as you were kind of, kind of wrap back to the front of the, the podcast was what are, what are you working on today? And it seems like getting a little bit of the backstory kind of gives you, gives us as listeners insights into kind of the coaching and area that you're really passionate about. Because what I see also is that you want to unlock the potential. In people, yeah. And you want to help others do that. And I think you have felt it in, in some of your work environments where you're like, I have all this potential. Like I, I will be great in this mm-hmm. role. Just my potential is not being unlocked because I'm not understood or people aren't taking the time to, to understand some of these strengths that I have. Yeah. And that's what I really see you doing in, in your coaching business is to say, hey, here's how, here's how you as a leader can unlock the potential in the people that you lead. Yeah, and it, it works from both sides is that, you know, I really want to help people understand and embrace other people. But I also want to help people show up as themselves and let themselves be understood. Mm. It's impossible to, for somebody to understand a person who never shows up. Like if you're constantly showing up as somebody else, then for one, you're, you're belying who you really are, which is, you know, as bad for your own interests long-term. Like you're, you can't live to your potential if you're just, if you're trying to be somebody you're not. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important to, like to allow people to, to voice themselves in a way that gives people the opportunity. Like, I don't think that the majority of people want to make other people feel bad. I I think that, you know, people can really put themselves first. They can, you know, there's a lot of different things that are the priority in people's mind, but I don't think that their goal is to make other people feel bad. So I think that it's really important to be able to speak in a way that like allows you to express who you are and give people the information so they're able to make decisions on how they want to communicate with you and what importance they want to put on making you feel seen. Like, I don't think that it's every, every person's like responsibility to see you, but I think that given the opportunity, a lot of people will make, they'll take that in and will choose to exercise of that information to, to improve their relationships as well. I'd love to ask you kind of one, uh, last kind of deeper question then maybe to kind of wrap up our time a few kind of lighter hearted questions if that's cool with you yeah absolutely uh right now in in the season of life you're in what what ways do people describe you both incorrectly and correctly yeah um so i'll start with incorrectly like if you haven't actually taken the time to get to know me people think that i'm mean because like my face like I, I, you know, RBF, like I'm, I'm, unless I'm actively having conversation, I'm just like focused all the time. Yeah. Like, and I, it's not even that I'm fo- I look focused all the time. And some people think that looks angry and like, I'm almost never angry. 
Um, people think I'm serious, and that is like the farthest from the truth. Like I am not a serious person. Like I really like to laugh and have fun. Yeah. And those are things that I've struggled with because you you let people have these opinions about you and let them let those opinions like weigh on your heart. And that's something I, do, I try not to do anymore. Like I'm de- I'm not there. Like yeah. I don't want anybody to think that I think that I'm done. I'm far from it. I think that it is a continual process of you know continuing to grow and be shaped by your experiences. And um, I think that people sometimes are projecting their own understanding onto other people. And that's something that I haven't really dealt with well in the past, but I'm learning to, to not put so much, you know, pressure on it. The people who actually know me know that I'm, I'm very loving. Like I really care about my people. Like I'm, I'm like, one of my friends told me whenever we were talking about us moving is that I'm, I'm the, the glue of our relationships. Like all, like I'm the one who wants to keep, I want to keep having people around. I want to have conversations with my people. You initiate. Like, yeah. I initiate that. I, yeah. I care about them. Um, and so like, yeah, I'm a person who cares. I'm a person who is um, very motivated. Uh, now, do people always understand what I'm working on? No. <laughs> and that's okay um yeah. i like as i was developing you know what is my coaching business now it went through several different iterations because it's both unfortunate and fortunate that i have i have attained a lot of skills and have a lot of talents and i was trying to do all of those things at once because it's like i want to be i really want to offer everything i have to the world to help other people be more seen and that it's not really a, a scalable business model. It's yeah. pretty hard to do. Yeah. So, you know, even as I'm, you know, as I'm coming into coaching, I was, I was terrified to call it coaching. Like I didn't want to be seen as a life coach. Like I didn't, you know, I wanted to be in identity management, which I'm okay being a coach now, but initially I wanted to like, I wanted to help you manage your identity because I didn't want people to think I was like selling like a, a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Like, a lot of coaches are just like, you know, they're out there just pushing some sort of philosophy that is surface level. And that's, that's not what I'm doing. Like I, I really want to help to coach people because I think that I've been through it enough that I can help people understand how to be themselves and to see success in life. And like, I like, that's the biggest thing that I want to impart to the world is that you can be yourself and still have like all kinds of accept all kinds of success you just have to like you know you have to accept certain parameters of that like you have to be willing to make certain sacrifices for your goals and you know that's really anything but i like i think that i've seen it firsthand well enough and i've done enough research and training like i'm a certified life coach and you know i went back and got my uh, my degree and like i've learned so much through all the different experiences that I want to I want to help people get to where I'm at and beyond much faster than I was able to. Like from the time that I started to look at how important it was to accept yourself to the time it actually took me to to get there it was a long time. You're trying to shorten that path for yeah, people. Yeah, I really I want to I just want to help pour everything I've learned in other people so they can they can start to love and embrace themselves and live in the the path that is actually meant for them faster. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's very clear, uh, evident in the work that you're doing and um, even the way that I've heard how you're interacting and doing relationships with people in Oklahoma City. Um, that's, that's really awesome. 
I'd love to kind of leave any kind of last. We're kind of kind of in that that series. I'd love to kind of back out with two or three questions. But do you have any last kind of thoughts or anything about your business um, um, that you want to want to want to share? This is the question that people always ask. That or that's what I always ask people that they're never prepared for. Yeah, and I, I feel equally as unprepared. But I'm I'm gonna push through, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I think that um, the most important thing to take away from learning about me is that I have been at the darkest space that, you know, a, a human can be like, I've, I've lived it. I, I'm not going to say that I'm beyond ever doubting myself or being depressed. Like I actually think that like I, I had a conversation on LinkedIn the other day about this, that doubt is important. I think that saying that like, I, you know, I've moved forward and I don't doubt myself anymore. That's not where I want to be. That might be right for you. It might be right for you know many other people, but for me, I want I want to continue doubting myself. I want to continue asking myself questions and having internal dialogues and say, "Is this right?" Like, like doubt is a great a great tool for shaping yourself. If you let it just be that, like, do I want to doubt myself to the point where I let my decisions become fear based? I definitely don't want to do that. Like, and that's something that I've moved past is making fear based decisions. I want to use doubt as a as an analytical tool. Like, okay, if I'm, if I'm doubting myself, maybe there's some, maybe there's a, a perspective I'm not seeing. Let me step back and let me look at it from a different angle. And that's that's that self awareness I talk about being so important. Is I think that doubt is a is a tool for sharpening your self awareness and asking yourself questions. And like, I don't think you should ever stop doing that. I think it's important. So that's that's what I'll leave people in is like, and if you are letting doubt become fear that's where I would like to help. Love it. All right. Uh, let me think of three quick questions that we can end with. One would be, what is a hobby that you're spending time on right now? Do you have, do you hobby. have any hobbies? Hobby? No. Um, I know you work a lot. I know you're grinding. And so. Yeah, I, I am grinding. And like, um, I really, so whenever I went back to school, I started taking drawing seriously. Okay. And I really enjoyed it and like was really heavily into it. And as I started to build my podcast, my business up, I really made less time for it. Yeah. But I've been trying to make time for it again. And um, this thing called Inktober is coming up. Yeah, and, and so I'm like, I told my, my daughter draws every single day. And I'm like, you want to do Inktober? She's like, yeah, you're going to have time. I'm like, I'm going to make time. I'm going to make sure that like, I want to because I want to get back into that. This is the second to last recording of a very, very busy period. And which I'm, as we're moving, like I'm going to be not recording for about a month, month and a half. Yeah. Like, you know, I've got lots of episodes, so I'll keep putting out content and like, you know, I'll still be editing and stuff. But having this recording piece and writing for the episodes off my plate for a while, I'm going to dive back into the hobby of drawing. And I also like I, I enjoy making music on my computer. Okay. Like, like I made my intro song. Like, you know, that's that's something I enjoy doing. It's. It doesn't come naturally though, so it's like something that takes a lot more like practice and YouTube videos and Skillshare and like trying to yep. trying to make sure I understand the the basic fundamentals of the process. But I enjoy that stuff. It's something I like nerding out about. So, are you going to post any of this Inktober, or will this be a private Inktober? Um, no, I'll I'll post it in my personal account. Okay. Yeah, okay. like I, it's not something I'll put out there on my business account yeah, because yeah. It, like, and I I had a because initially whenever I was finishing college i thought i wanted to just do graphic design like i think i was like 
that's what I'm going to do okay. because I really, I really enjoy graphic design. Yeah. But I like as I was trying to build out my business, like I tried to keep that as part of the business concept, but it it just it didn't feel yeah. like it was niche enough. So it's like it's something that I've still got in my back pocket. I do all my own graphic design for the podcast for the business, yeah. but it's something that like down the down the road I might want to like offer back in. It's like you know. That authentic branding type stuff yeah. but i think right now it's kind of important to focus on the mentality of it but in in saying all that um i had i had an instagram account for just putting posting that stuff i think i'm going to get rid of it but i i will definitely be posting a lot of inktober stuff so so for the so for the listeners inktober there typically there is a prompt per day in october that a group from around it's international at this point that people are kind of drawing the same things and posting them. Um, yeah. There's a few different Inktober people um, who post prompts, but um, if you want to do that with Bruce and you want to want to do this, you can you can post. You can come along. I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah, um, I'm sure Bruce might post his uh, his outline for what what him and his daughter might be drawn, um, or maybe are you guys come up with your own prompts? No, or? no, okay. we we just like the the I think it's Inktober.com. It's yeah, like it's like the, the main one. So. Okay. Yeah, I would just download that. I'll post okay. it, um, I, I guess, the day before, okay. last day of September. Yep. And anybody wants to hop on there, which, you know, this will come out after, uh, maybe at the end of October. Okay. Like, so this. So we're late. So, yeah. so what I'll say is good luck to all those who did Inktober. Yes. Um, congratulations. I'll make, I'll make a post about it. Just to, you know, see, like we talked about it today, anybody who wants to jump in and do That'd October. Cool. Yeah, cool. Okay, last question. What is your most memorable meal? That you've either made or like the setting, all of it. I, okay. It's open. What is your most memorable meal? Okay, so I can think of like I can two different meals. Okay. One that I made and one that uh, that I've eaten. Like I don't think that I've had a whole lot of super fancy experiences with people taking me to dinner and stuff like that. Like uh, my wife's aunt Kathy and uncle Clint took us to uh, what is it? Prime, yeah, the one in Tulsa that's like right by PF uh, Chang's. Okay, uh, took us there. That was a really good one. But the 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 one that sticks out the most to me is when me and my brother and my dad were in the Tenerife Islands um, or the Canary Islands in, on Tenerife. We went for pizza at like I don't know why pizza was where we were going <laughs> in Tenerife, why. but it was like it was a really really cool experience to like be somewhere that was so far from america and italy like it was neither and we had this really really good pizza and we had like it's one of the few conversations i remember having with my dad and brother where like we didn't argue there was like there was no like um there was no discomfort because my dad is like trying to make somebody do something which is like in like continual theme and conversations where me and my dad and my brother are there yeah. somebody is generally unhappy because we have not done what my dad wanted but we were just there and we just had a good time and ate and the meal was great and i uh they asked if you know what kind of water we wanted like like what kind of water in the agua con gas or agua no con gas and we're like i said con gas i was like <laughs> sure yeah. and it was my first time i ever drank sparkling Spark water, water. Yep. and it like punched me in the mouth i was like oh what is happening <laughs> what is wrong with this and you know that's not something that i'd grown up with like yeah. i literally had never tried it before 
and I thought it was disgusting. And I was, and it's so funny because now I love sparkling water. Okay, okay. But that was just, it was, I was expecting regular water. Yeah. And then after that, yeah, me, we'll and my, you in the mouth me and my brother, I left my dad at the resort that we were staying at. And we had like one of the most amazing nights I've ever had. Like we were, I think I was maybe 15. Like I got mean, once again, bad at time. My brother was, you know, three years older than me, so he was 18. And we just went out to this club and there was like not that many people there, but we always had such a good time together, just like dancing. And we met a couple of Irish guys who we hung out with. And like, we just sat on this, by this pool and talked for like three hours with these guys who were from Ireland, just about like what, what it's like where they're from. And they're like, so, you know, you guys are from America, right? And it's like, yeah. So you've heard of Ice Cube. It was like, yeah. It's like, man, we love him there. It was like, it was so weird because it was like, you know, this was in one of the one of the lulls of Ice Cube's career where it was like, yeah, Ice Cube, really, of all people? Like, he hasn't been, you know, really popular like 10 years. Yeah. But, you know, I remember that American culture, like, it spreads and it, some places it takes a long time to catch up to where we are now. And oh, it was, yeah, it was just a really great, so it was like one of the best days I've ever had. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, I mean, I love eating with people. And so meals are near and dear. I do not cook. Uh, I do not grill. I do not smoke. I do not do any of that stuff like you do. So I'm envious of that. Uh, uh, real quick, I forgot I was going to tell the yeah. other, the other one is uh, one of my friends who doesn't cook, but she, uh, she liked to finance a meal. She would be like the financier, you know, like we'd have like, I think the budget was like $300 because okay. it was like me and my wife, another good, like another one of our good couple friends. And then her, maybe there was one other adult there. Yeah. And then like, I think it was her husband at the time. And so it was the six of us and then all of our kids, which was like another, another 14 people. So it was, and so for the kids, I made uh, like fresh French bread pizzas from like nice Italian bread and like, Everything else was like homemade, scratch, like yeah, yeah. made the pizza sauce, everything. Because I, I never wanted to like look at kids like they can't enjoy a great meal. Mm-hmm. Like I made them like Caesar salads, like, you know, I made the croutons, made everything for them. That was one part of the meal. That was just the kid's meal. For us, we, this was like the fanciest meal I've ever, I've ever made for sure. And I don't, quite possibly the fanciest I've ever eaten. Yeah. So I made like seared scallops with a, like a, I think it was a blanc sauce and then uh like dry aged ribeyes and with like these these creamy herb carrots i make and there was there's one other part of it but it was like everything was like my the best i'd ever put out mm-hmm. it was like the steaks were cooked perfectly the scallops were cooked perfectly and everybody enjoyed it immensely and we had a great conversation that was one of those ones where i'd like i just I was so happy that everything came together at the right time. Cause it, you know, if you don't cook, let me tell you, it's, it's difficult to get all of the things right at the right time and get it to everybody in the right time for it to stay right. Mm-hmm. So it was like getting everything done and served up and like on the plate and then being able to sit down and enjoy it. It was, it was quite the miracle. And I really, it was so enjoyable to do. And then also to see other people enjoy like, and I also didn't have to pay for it. And that was like, you know, that's sometimes, sometimes I, I find myself like, I love the experience of presenting food and like having people enjoy it. But then like, I like got this buyer's remorse where it's like, but I paid for it. Yeah. And that's like, so having somebody else like say, I would love to pay if you'll just cook it. It felt like 
that was one of those things where it's like I felt seen. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't make me feel seen. Just the thank you and all that is like great, but it was like whenever you're also paying, oh, sure. it could it, it could feel like I was being taken advantage of because that's it was hard work. Yeah, but it's like just not having to pay for it was enough, and I was yeah. like, yes. So in the comments, leave your favorite meal. Uh, also, maybe add the topic of discussion because at these meals, you know, there's amazing food and you can enjoy that, uh, but also some of the the memories of the conversations that. Uh, come from those meals so that would be a, a great conversation that we can, we can have so as closing bruce i often say that when we are vulnerable about our stories we create a more truthful narrative of how people become successful how they get to where they're at and so thank you for being vulnerable today sharing your story thank you for being authentic uh, as always and thank you for inviting all of your podcast guests to step into that authenticity with you um, you're making a huge impact and i know this is just the beginning congrats on so many episodes. Uh, This is, like I said, I'll say it again, this is just the beginning for you, sir. So with that being said, I'm going to turn back the podcast over to the host, the one and only Bruce Alexander. Man, Taylor, thank you so much. That was really great. I I really enjoyed that. Like you asked great questions and I appreciate the opportunity to getting, giving my audience a better understanding of who I am and and what I'm motivated by. Um, If you enjoyed today's episode, Please leave a review. I really appreciate all the feedback. It like it, this last episode that I released, episode ten, I heard from more people than I'd ever heard from saying like it was so good to get to know Peter. Yeah. Um, that was it. Felt really good to me to know that people connected with him deeper by getting to hear his story. Like that's what I, that's what I'm out here trying to do. Like I really love that experience. It's not just to pump my ego like i really do care to hear these reviews because i like to hear what i'm not doing enough of how i could improve but i also want to know what i'm doing right like i I do enjoy hearing that uh follow this podcast so you can get updates about new episodes and live streams and if you are interested in bonus or behind the scenes content go to the authentic on air with bruce alexander patreon page share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it right now check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content And don't forget to like at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video and impactful clips from my conversations with these great guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your family, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does authenticity and identity coaching to help you align your true self with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or you can email me at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com and we can set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Taylor, for your authentic takeover. It was really amazing. Until next time, be yourself, love yourself. Bye, everyone.